The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Tuesday night to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. And are you kidding me? Where else would you rather be on a Tuesday night from 10 to midnight than right here on Hacker After Dark? And we certainly appreciate you staying up late with us. We got a ton to get into for the next two hours tonight. A little college football, a little national basketball association, and of course, a little bit on the National Football League. Florida, Florida State, and Miami have all begun spring practice. We'll talk a little college ball with Brent Beard of uh, right here on 1010XL. You also see him on First Coast News here locally. He's coming up in about 20 minutes. In about 40 minutes, Zach Hanshu, my man from NBC Sports Edge, as we will talk a little National Basketball Association. But there is a ton to get into when it comes to the National Football League, and that's where we will begin. Because every night on Hacker After Dark, we do give you a big deal of the night. And Dylan Denmark, let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. So there's really two big deals that I want to get into this evening. One happened in New York City earlier today, and the other is going to happen next Monday here in Jacksonville, but more than likely some other NFL market. Let's go to New York City first. Daniel Jones. Yes, that Daniel Jones. The Daniel Jones that was considered a bust by the New York media. The Daniel Jones that was drafted in the top 10 out of Duke, but was thought to not be the answer for the New York Giants. That Daniel Jones today signed a four-year deal worth $160 million dollars could add an additional $35 million to that in incentives if he reaches it. And in the first two years of the deal, Daniel Jones will be paid $82 million. Daniel Jones' career numbers in four years, his rookie year in 2019, 24 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. He threw for 3,000 yards, completed 62% of his passes. In 2020, 11 touchdowns, 10 picks, 11 touchdowns in 14 starts, completed 62% of his passes. In 2021, started 11 games, 10 touchdowns, 7 interceptions, completing 64%. And last year, a career year for Daniel Jones, 15 touchdowns, 5 interceptions, 3,200 yards, 67% completion percentage. Look, it wasn't all bad for Daniel Jones. He had some solid moments, including this one right here that Kevin Harlan will tell you about from Fox Sports. Second down, five, Jones again. Oh, here he goes. He can see the pylon. Touchdown. If they draft the quarterback from Duke, I may walk into oncoming traffic. (laughs) Yes, sir. Going back to 2019, as you can tell, I did not want 
Daniel Jones here in Jacksonville. Nothing against Daniel Jones. I just didn't think he was very good. Although, Daniel Jones did come in to Jacksonville this past season, and he gave the Jaguars a pretty good pounding, as Dave Campo told you. Uh, it's just a pound job, and, and guys are tired towards that, that four minutes. Hey, the RPO that Daniel Jones had that game against the Jaguars, tell him again, Coach, what was it? Uh, it's just a pound job, and, and guys are tired towards that, that four minutes. That was just a tip. Yeah, it was right. Just a tip. It was a pound job. There's no question about it. It was a pound job on the RPOs that Daniel Jones did against the Jaguars. Back to the big deal of the night, ladies and gentlemen, in Jacksonville, Florida. Daniel Jones, who in four years has thrown for eleven thousand yards, sixty touchdowns, thirty-four interceptions and completing 64% of his passes, just got $40 million per year. 40! Do you understand what we're going to have to pay Trevor Lawrence? It's going to be unbelievable. It's going to be absolutely unbelievable. Trevor Lawrence was out of the players today, and he was grinning ear to ear, and I don't blame him. Because when he found out that Daniel Jones got $40 million per year, I would be grinning ear to ear too if I was Trevor Lawrence. Or if I'm Justin Herbert in Los Angeles, Joe Burrow in Cincinnati. The quarterback money is insanity. It is plain and simple insanity. We saw it yesterday with Geno Smith who got three years and $105 million in Seattle. We see it again today with Daniel Jones, four years, a buck sixty, and $35 million more he could reach with incentives. So I ask you, Jaguar fans, and I put this on Twitter earlier, appreciate your response to it. If Daniel Jones is getting $40 million a year, coming off a 15-touchdown, five-interception, 3,200-yard passing season. Good grief what the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to have to pay Trevor Lawrence. I think the conversation will probably begin at $50 million per, and I think it's not crazy to think it might get upwards to 55 to $60 million per. And the same thing's going to happen in L.A. with Justin Herbert. The same thing's going to happen in Cincinnati with Joe Burrow. And I, look, it's better to be in this position than not be in this position. I'd rather have a great young quarterback that we're going to need to pay as opposed to not having a great young quarterback. So I'm not complaining about this. I was just stunned that Daniel Jones a guy that I said I would walk into oncoming traffic if the Jaguars drafted in 2019 got $40 million per earlier today. But the New York Giants did it, and as a result of signing Daniel Jones to that deal or agreeing to terms, he'll officially sign it next Wednesday, they were able to franchise tag Saquon Barkley. Franchise tag deadline has come and gone. Tony Pollard, running back Dallas, uh, Saquon Barkley, 
running back for the Giants, Josh Jacobs running back for the Raiders. Isn't that interesting? We've been told that the running back position gets kind of watered down. Oh, you can find a good running back in the mid to late rounds of the draft. You don't need a stud running back in today's NFL. All right, well, three of them got the franchise tag put on them by three teams that think they're going to be able to compete next year, right? The Raiders, the Cowboys, and the Giants. So obviously they value the running back position. Other franchise tags, of course, Evan Ingram here in Jacksonville, Deron Payne in Washington. Speaking of Evan Ingram, no long-term deal yet, but the franchise tag has been applied. He will be a Jaguar in 2023. But the more people you talk to now, the closer we get to next Monday, less and less likely it appears that Jawan Taylor will be a Jaguar in 2023. There are reports out that Jawan Taylor could get uh, offered as much as 17 to $18 million per year, which at that point would probably price him out of the Jaguars' range. Keep in mind, the Jaguars do have Walker Little, and they have Cam Robinson returning from injury. I mentioned this to you last week. I would rather have Walker Little as my left tackle and Jawan Taylor as my right tackle as opposed to Cam Robinson as my left tackle and Walker Little as my right tackle. Cam Robinson's coming into year number seven. He's got a torn ACL in his history. He now has a torn meniscus in his injury history. Jawan Taylor has started every game in the National Football League for the last four years. So, losing Jawan Taylor, if that happens, and I think at this point it's safe to say it's trending that way. If I were a betting man, I'd say there's a better chance than not that Jawan Taylor will not be a Jacksonville Jaguar in 2023. What will that do to the Jaguar offense? We know the skill positions are going to be loaded, right? Calvin Ridley got reinstated. Christian Kirk will be here. Zay Jones will be here. Evan Ingram's back. Travis Etienne's back. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence. And that's great. That's wonderful. That's what you need. You need those playmakers. But if you don't have an offensive line, it really doesn't matter. So you're going to have Cam Robinson coming back off of injury. Is Ben Bartsch your left guard? He's coming back off of injury. Is Tyler Shatley going to battle there? Luke Fortner's your center. Brandon Sheriff's your right guard. And Walker Little, who has played little to no right tackle in the NFL, is likely your right tackle if Jawan Taylor leaves. I think that might change the Jaguars' philosophy in the draft. I think offensive tackle in the first round, or in minimum the second round, not out of question if you lose Jawan. Because Walker Little would be your right tackle. Again, very little experience there. Cam Robinson coming off a bad knee injury. You would need to replace Walker Little as a swing tackle, and you would need to start replenishing the depth. Might not be the sexiest thing to do. Might not be the most exciting thing. But I think at that point, if you lose Jawan Taylor, the Jaguars are going to have to draft an offensive tackle in either round number one or round number two. As far as Arden Key, Andrew Wingard, 
Chris Manhurts, Dan Arnold, Marvin Jones, Dewan Smoot, all of which are scheduled to become free agents on Monday. Adam Gostas as well. You've heard very little, very little on any of those guys. We've talked at nauseum about Ingram, Key, and Taylor, but Andrew Wingard, I, I, I want Andrew Wingard back. I think he's a big special teams contributor. I like him coming in, spelling Rayshon Jenkins, and he's clearly a beloved figure in that locker room. To me, it would hurt if Andrew Wingard were to move on. Chris Manhurts, I think there's a spot for him. He's a good blocking tight end. I'm not saying he's going to be one of your playmakers, but Chris Manhurts, I think, needs to be back here in Jacksonville. Dan Arnold, I would doubt. I believe Dan Arnold might find bigger money elsewhere. Adam Gotstas, I'd like him back. We'll see what the market is for him. Dewan Smoot's coming off an Achilles. Who knows what his market's going to be. And Marvin Jones is probably gone with the addition of Ridley. Because you have Ridley, you have Kirk, you have Zay Jones. At least right now, you got Jamal Agnew as your fourth wide receiver. I just can't imagine Marvin Jones being in the plans. But we're going to know a lot of these answers sooner rather than later as NFL free agency negotiations begin Monday. You can officially sign contracts one week from tomorrow. 641-1010 is the phone number on the phone line and on the text line designed by Lifetime Enclosures. College football fans, Florida, Florida State, Miami are all in to spring football. Mario Cristobal, year number two. Billy Napier, year number two. They need to improve, both of them, off of what happened last season. Mike Norvell, a brand-new contract extension. They're the kings of the state right now. This state, college football-wise, belongs to Florida State after wins over Miami and a win over the Gators last year. Let's talk spring ball in Tallahassee, Coral Gables, and Gainesville with my friend Brent Beard. You see him on First Coast News. You also get him right here with me on Hacker After Dark. It is a Tuesday night in Jacksonville, Florida. It is our late show, and we appreciate you staying up with us with Dylan Denmark, the Hacker Ryan Green with you here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Now... Yellow. Another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. It is a Tuesday evening and we are glad you are with us. Florida, Florida State and Miami have all begun spring football here in 2023. There's a lot to get into and with that, let's talk to my friend Brent Beard. You see him weekly on First Coast News. You also get him here on Hacker After Dark. Mr. Beard, how are you, sir? Well, it's a wonderful time of year um, in a lot of ways, Hack. Uh, it's probably a probably an undervalued time of year where you've got March Madness in um, uh, full bloom uh, and you've got spring practice that's starting for uh, most of the country uh, goodness, we've got some spring games that are coming up in March, believe it or not. But uh, that, that's what makes it exciting, and that's the reason we follow it. Uh, and, it and it's so much fun. Brent, we always talk football, and that'll be 90% of our conversation. But 
you mentioned March Madness, and, and you're from the state of Alabama. As I always mention, your twin brother, Brett, does radio in the state of Alabama. Uh, boy, that Brandon Miller situation is an interesting one at, at your alma mater. I think he was just actually named the player of the year in the SEC and the freshman of the year in the SEC, yet all these lingering questions about potential involvement he may or may not have had with a weapon that was used in a, a pretty heinous crime. Um, what is, not not necessarily Brandon Miller himself, but you know people in Tuscaloosa, Brent. I mean, what's the what's the vibe out there about all that? Well, uh, he was not mentioned uh, even for the Wood Award, uh, which drew some uh, some strange looks uh, in the state of Alabama. Uh, but uh, I mean, they frankly, since this really started, and again, the main thing is you mentioned the the tragedy of this, and that which can never be forgotten is is the young woman that lost her life. Uh, with it either um, but they have struggled uh, over their last four games I mean they've won three of four um, lost at A&M but the MO has been they've get, gotten to a hole got behind the 17 with Texas A&M stormed back actually took the lead uh, briefly before A&M came back and A&M's a really good basketball team and they deserve a fifth six or seven seed uh, but uh, the uh, I, it's probably uh, more of a uh, national story almost than it is even uh, within the state of Alabama. I mean, they've investigated, the universities investigated it, the police uh, have done so. Uh, Miller was never charged with anything, uh, probably except for being dumb. Uh, I mean, when someone asks you to bring a gun over, uh, I mean, he had he didn't know what the intent of that was, but I mean, you shouldn't do that. Uh, but above and beyond that, that they, they've looked at all of it and they've deemed that he is okay to be able to play. Uh, but again, this is a this is a team that's with a lot of freshmen, uh, and they're up and down from time to time. Uh, be, it's going to be interesting to see how they do in the SEC tournament this weekend. And that there's a lot of thought uh, that they are going to be playing the first two rounds in Birmingham uh, and that they will be a number one seed. Yeah, and Florida may see them if Florida beats Mississippi State That's right. on Thursday. They would see Alabama. I was just curious, and again, real quick, so the alumni, people you talk to, boosters, they're okay with Miller playing? There's no issue for them with that? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, if he was, if, if from what they could tell, if he was more heavily involved with this, I think they would be reasonable enough uh, to say that he needed to be suspended. Uh, but from what they have that they have seen uh, from the evidence and from the police and from the University of Alabama, uh, I, I mean, frankly. I don't think Nate Oates and uh, the coach and Greg Byrne, the AD to Alabama, uh, would – they're not going to rest their jobs for a guy who's only going to be there about six more weeks. Uh, and they've got more to talent that's coming in after that. So, uh, yeah, I, I think after everybody looked at what, what they have read and seen from the facts from the media, uh, they are content with him playing. Brent Beard, you get him on First Coast News. You also get him right here – 
on Hacker After Dark. All right, Brent, to spring football. Let's begin in Gainesville. Year number two for Billy Napier in the spring, begun on Saturday. All eyes, I suppose, are on Graham Mertz and uh, Jack Miller and that quarterback situation. Brent, I just think it's good for Florida to get out on the field and maybe yeah. get some positive PR going. Yeah, there's some doubt about that. And, and, and there have been some uh, other uh, interesting moves. Jamarcus Weston has moved to the defensive side of the ball as a safety. Uh, now that means they've got nine scholarship receivers uh, so they've got to, I think, get that group up uh, and going. They are still replacing or trying to uh, some of their coaches. Russ Callaway is now the new tight ends coach. He was an off-the-field assistant and a defensive intern. Uh, so he and Callaway's been around uh, different places. He was an offensive assistant at LSU. He actually was at Samford in Birmingham for five years as their offensive coordinator and quarterback coach. Now, and people may not be real familiar with with Stan, Samford, but that's a good school and a and a good football team uh, over the last few years. So uh, they've got him coming in uh, to uh, Austin Armstrong is. Uh, up and going as D coordinator, and I still say a lot of their problem is on the defensive side of the ball. I know everybody likes to discuss the quarterbacks, and by the way, because we want to add to that, Michael Leon, uh, who was at UConn, has been added as a walk-on quarterback. Max Brown, Graham Mertz, Jack Miller, uh, the, the ones that you just mentioned, I, I really do wonder, Hack, that it's going to be an interesting spring as far as the quarterbacks. If, if one of those guys or, or a couple of them don't really stand out, I, I just wonder if they would really consider when that May transfer uh, situation opens up to take a hard look at maybe who's available and there may not be much available right now, but but I do wonder if they'll look at it. Oh, I think they absolutely will. I look at two schools, Brent. I look at Ohio State, and I look at Ole Miss, and they got two, arguably three, guys yep. in their quarterback competition at both of those schools. Whomever loses that competition in the spring is probably going to want out, and I sure. think Florida would be waiting with open arms. So, no Florida doubt. fans, keep your eye on the Ole Miss quarterback competition and the Ohio State quarterback competition of course that's where they got Jack Miller a couple of years ago so Florida started on Saturday their spring game is April the 13th the Seminoles were two days behind Brent they got underway yesterday with Mike Norvell and his brand new contract extension from this offseason they're going to be without some names this spring including Micah Pittman but the bottom line this is a team Brent coming into the spring with a lot of expectations in 2023 People love this team, uh, that they're going to be ranked uh, certainly in the top ten if they're not in the top five. Frankly, guys missing spring, Robert Scott, the offensive lineman, um, Kevin Knowles, defensive back, defensive end Aaron Hester, and Malcolm Ray, who's a defensive tackle and defensive end uh, both. So uh, they have got going. Uh, A.J. Duffy, the backup quarterback, showing some uh, some signs of growth. They've got a freshman quarterback, Brock Glenn, 
uh, who got thrown into the mix and drew a little bit of praise uh, with that too. Uh, wide receiver Rodney Hill at, at, uh, uh, was praised a little bit. And again, we know uh, it's first day and this may not mean much, but uh, it is good to have a little bit of news. I've got a Penn State transfer, Keziah Holmes at running back. Uh, and that's going to be a pretty good running back room, but well, the question uh, for Norvell, Brent, is which transfer this year will be an All-American? Because that, that's what they're <laughs> yeah, doing every yeah. year in Tallahassee. Uh, well, yeah, great point. It really is. Uh, so, that and uh, Ja'Kiah Douglas, another receiver who stood out. Uh, now, uh, this is a great situation, Hank. We should all be able to do this at one time in our life. But Alex Atkins, the offensive coordinator, flew out to L.A. for an interview with the Rams offensive line coaching job um he didn't take the job because primarily fsu gave him a raise and so now he's making over a million dollars well he was heck he was making eight hundred and fifty thousand a year which you know it's not bad uh but now he's gonna be making 1.15 so uh good for him to be able to do that and and uh we mentioned this about the offense returning about 94% of his production, well, the defense returns 87, which is the second best, uh, frankly, uh, in the um, country. So, uh, look, the reality of it is, uh, Hank, if you put all that together, is it any wonder about the excitement in Tallahassee? A couple of more for Brent Beard. You get him on First Coast News. You also get him right here on 1010XL on Hacker after dark Brent I want to go to Miami but a quick thought on Florida State as we wrap up for this week is there awkwardness between them and the ACC after what Michael Alford said a couple weeks ago yes there's no question about that and it needs to be the ACC needs to do something uh, to improve the uh, the money situation now are they going to get more money uh, to their bigger brands and Florida State and Clemson, et cetera. That'll be interesting to see, but I don't think there's any question that Florida State's tired of it. Uh, and, and had, I've been very upfront about this, and, and I think a lot of people uh, have, have made notice that if not for that grant of rights uh, that goes through 2036, uh, that the ACC would be as fragile right now as the Pac-12. Yeah, look, there's a lot of people, Florida State and Clemson in particular, not happy with what the SEC and the no. Big Ten are making. We're talking $30 million more per year are some yes. of the, some of the uh, numbers being released, and the ACC certainly falling behind financially. All right, Brent, let's spend a quick thought on Miami. We'd be remiss if we didn't at least touch on the Canes briefly as they also began spring practice this past weekend. Yeah, I I thought this was interesting. Their new offensive coordinator, Shannon Dawson, likes the air raid. Not saying they're totally going to it, but they're going to do something with the air raid to help Tyler Van Dyke uh, as a possibility, too. Uh, They've got a lot of transfers themselves, uh, particularly in the offensive line, uh, which they need. Kevin Still is at Alabama. Lance Guidry uh, is the new D coordinator who is there. They've got a lot of guys who are out for spring practice. They started over the weekend 
Uh, and a lot of these guys are going to be missing time. Zion Nelson, an offensive lineman. Tremonte Citizen at running back, for instance. Uh, with that, too, uh, their uh, quarterback, Sonny Emery Williams, 6'4", 190, has looked good uh, in some ways, too. Jason Taylor has been promoted, their new defensive end coach, uh, too. Uh, so, uh, and, and they've still got to get some things done uh, with their staff, Kevin Beard, uh, who used to play there, obviously, uh, is going to be the receivers coach at Miami. So, and and look, Hack, I'm I think it really bears repeating. Florida gets a lot of criticism for all the work that they've got to do in rebuilding. Well, I'll be frank with you. I think Miami has just as much, uh, and we'll be going over that over the next few weeks. But um, uh, the, the uh, Mario Cristobal has really got his work cut out too. Yeah, look, I mean, neither guy is on the hot seat, but make no mistake about it. If 2023 doesn't go well for Napier and Cristobal, 2024 there will be a hot seat for both guys, and that's just the reality of the situation. Brent, the other reality of the situation, at least for this week, is I love college football. You love college football. You're an encyclopedia when it comes to college football. That's why we love having you on, but I think you and I are in agreement the game is too long and they have to do something. You should not be having four or four-and-a-half-hour games. Games that start at 3.30 should not be ending at 7.30 or at 8 o'clock. As we wrap up this week's uh, notes with you, what is college football doing, thinking about doing to shorten some of these games? Well, they've got three things that they've come up with uh, that they are sending to the NCAA Oversight Committee that will vote April 20th. Uh, now, what the three that probably will make it will be no back-to-back timeouts uh, to ice the kicker, uh, no untimed downs at the end of the first and third quarters, and the one that's going to make the biggest difference is a running clock after first downs uh, have been made and the ball is spotted, except inside two minutes of the first half and the second half. Now, they were... They had proposed a rule about the clock running after incompletions, but it looks like that one won't go. Now, these rules we just mentioned have been going on since, like, 1968. So there will be some real change here to to go along with it. Now, we need to be clear about this. They're not cutting commercials, are they, Hack? (laughs) Those aren't being shortened by any stretch of the imagination. So what do you do? You either come up with a rules like this or you shorten the halftime. And real quick, they did a study that over the last five years, and this is interesting, the average game went from three hours and 16 minutes to three hours and 21 minutes. So that's only five minutes, but to your point, uh, look, when you're sitting there watching games, heck, it used to be, do you remember the day a game come on at 3.30? By 7, it's over. But, look, at seven, sometimes it's 7.20 and even 7.30 it's still going on. So I understand what people are saying. Yeah, no, I do too. And you got to be careful with the way you try to do this. I remember that nonsense they did. Was it about a decade ago where they had the clock run after the kickoff? 
So yeah. you'd have a touchback, yeah. and by the time the first play is had, it's like 14-22 left on the clock. Mm-hmm. That was ridiculous. I don't want to see that. But why do you stop the clock after every first down? Why yeah. do you stop the clock until the ball snapped after you go out of bounds? Adopt some of the NFL thoughts. I don't need the clock to run after an incompletion. That would be changing the game. But what I yeah. don't need is for a first down to happen and for there to be a minute of real life transpiring and not one second coming off that clock. You'd be right. smart about this. Just use common sense, and I think you would bring the time of these games down pretty significantly. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Uh, certainly, yeah, I don't want to shorten them to two and a half hours or anything sure. like that, but there are some things they can do. Brent, we got 90 seconds. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about Anthony Richardson at the Combine. Uh, boy, what a performance. Your thoughts? Well, there's no doubt he's an incredible athlete. He's he's an incredible specimen. And I hope he does well. I really do. But the reality of this is, and you and I have had this discussion several times, the tape does not lie. Uh, and I thought you put it well. The thing that sticks out in your mind is throwing the ball into the stands instead of in the end zone on the last play of the Vanderbilt game, uh, the the horrible play against Georgia, and even worse against Florida State when you miss 11 straight passes. So my thing is, uh, I, 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 look, I, I got the numbers. All that's wonderful. But those numbers don't matter much on third and seven uh, when you're in Baton Rouge, uh, in the fourth quarter, and you and you need a play. That that's that's going to be what's going to be uh, change. Will will his accuracy in making routine plays improve? Uh, I, I don't care how fast he runs in that league on that level. You've got to be accurate, or you're not in the game for very long. You get Brent Beard on First Coast News. You also get him weekly here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Brent, appreciate it as always. The next time you and I talk, we'll be a week further into spring. The Georgia Bulldogs will be setting out on their spring football journey, trying to do a three-peat. My goodness, the storylines that will be coming out of Athens this year. We'll talk again in seven days, my friend. Thank you. Always a pleasure, pal. Take care. There you go, Brent Beard. You get him on First Coast News and right here on Hacker After Dark. And, yeah, I agree with him. Look, I love college football as much as the next guy. Games are too long. Got to do something about them. I don't need a game kicking off at 3.30 and ending at 7.30. I don't need a four-hour college football game. Why Why does the clock stop after every first down? Why does the clock stop whenever somebody goes out of bounds? Don't run the clock after an incompletion. Or don't run the clock after the kickoff if it's a touchback. I don't need that. But after a first down, wind the thing. The guy goes out of bounds, all right, stop it for a second and wind the thing. Speed the game just a little bit. That halftime show, look, I get it. You want to give the band time out there and the pageantry of college football. College football halftime is ridiculously too long, but they're never going to change that. They're never going to change the commercials because of the advertising revenue, but you can at least speed the game up a little bit while it's in the flow of the game. More college football coming up in the 11 o'clock hour. Spring football underway in Miami. David Lake inside the U.com will set the scene for us on Mario Cristobal's second spring as the Hurricanes head coach. 
Also, David Waters of the Gators Breakdown Podcast, as we'll look solely at the University of Florida. That also coming up in the 11 o'clock hour. Billy Napier's second spring at the helm of the Florida Gators. Coming up next to the National Basketball Association. Regular season's winding down. Some teams have as few as 15 games remaining. The postseason is right around the corner. Can the Lakers make the playoffs without LeBron? What is Kevin Durant doing in Phoenix? Are they the team to beat? And what's going on in the East? Milwaukee, Boston, Philadelphia, the New York Knicks? A lot to talk about. Zach Hanshu, NBC Sports Edge, talking the association next on Hacker After Dark. This is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Now... Another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The NBA regular season has less than 20 regular season games for basically every team now. Some teams starting to separate. Some teams starting to come back to the pack. And what about the Los Angeles Lakers? Can they get to the postseason without LeBron James. We got a lot to get into with that. Zach Hanshu, NBC Sports Edge, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Zach, how you doing? I'm doing great, brother. How about yourself? Hey, Zach, we're good, man. Thank you for the time. Let's begin with the Lakers. Boy, things were looking up for them. They made some nice trades at the deadline, and then bam, LeBron goes down. He's going to be out for what's been described as a couple of weeks, and then we'll see what happens. Zach, let's just get right to it. Can the Lakers make the playoffs without LeBron James? Uh, yeah, they can make the playoffs. Um, and maybe that's a hot take, but as it stands right now, they're the 11th seed. Uh, they're tied with Utah and Portland, uh, who have the same record. Uh, the Utah and Portland have a you know tiebreaker over them. Uh, but they're both, they're all three of those teams right now, 31 and 34. The Pelicans, 31 and 34. And the Thunder, half a game back in them at 30 and 34. So there's absolutely an opportunity for the Lakers to tread water here. Um, as long as Anthony Davis stays healthy, uh, they've been getting some great production out of Jared Vanderbilt. He's been a steal for them. Uh, Malik Beasley has contributed as well. Uh, D'Angelo Russell has been injured, I think for five or six straight, and he is questionable uh, for their upcoming games. So if he can get healthy and come back, uh, this team is absolutely talented enough to get into the play-in tournament. And if you're into the play-in tournament and you have LeBron, AD, and that group healthy, uh, they can certainly make the the playoffs and make some noise. Absolutely. Zach, LeBron's not 28. He's not even 32 anymore. I mean, he's up there. He's 38 years old. This is probably not a championship team. I don't think I'm breaking any news there. Are the Lakers going to be careful with him? I mean, do they want to try to rush him back? You don't want to see a Kevin Durant situation with him. What's your thought on all that? Yeah, I, I mean, if you're talking about, you know, he's 38 and they're they're going to maybe preserve him for next season. They're they're just going to throw this season away. Um, I don't I don't buy into that. Um, I think at LeBron's age now, I think it's it's more urgent than ever to get him back. Uh, there's no there's no sense playing the long game here. Uh, if you're the Lakers front office. Uh, you've got a deal in place to keep LeBron James there, but, uh, you know, obviously his son is going to be coming into the NBA soon. 
Uh, maybe he thinks about retiring now that he continues to get injured and he's broken the all-time scoring record. I mean, that was a major milestone to get over for him. Uh, so I think I, I do think there will be a sense of urgency to bring him back. Uh, I think at his age and with this roster is currently constructed, uh, I don't think they would have gone out and made the moves to get D'Lo, to get Beasley, to get Vanderbilt, to get Mo Bamba, who's injured, you know, currently right now. I don't think they go out and make those moves if they're not trying to win right this second. Zach, unfortunately, we're talking more off the court stuff than on the court. Again, Zach Hanshu, yeah. NBC Sports Edge. What did you make of the Ja Morant? situation in memphis and what do you think is going to happen there i'll tell you what man if, if i'm his my first reaction is if i'm his teammate i'm furious right i mean so they are seven games back of the one seed for denver they're not catching denver for that one seed uh, but currently sacramento is half a game back from them in the standing Sacramento's hot right now and they could catch them for the two seed Phoenix with Kevin Durant is surging right now. They uh, they won a excellent game against Dallas on Sunday. Uh, him and Devin Booker are just looking phenomenal on the court together. Uh, so this is and, and just from top to bottom, the Western Conference is ridiculously uh, tight right now. So you can slip down the standings in a hurry, as we see from New Orleans, um, as we see from Oklahoma City, who was once uh, you know pretty high up. The Clippers, the Jazz. Um, so the Grizzlies are in a dangerous spot here. And as we've seen from a lot of these Western conference teams in particular, home court advantage is a huge deal. Uh, and uh, shoot, you know, we talk about the magic on here with you a lot. The magic are excellent at home and they struggle a bit on the road. So I think if you're having, uh, if you're Memphis and you're in danger of slipping down the standings and potentially losing your home court advantage, you're going to be in a lot of trouble in the playoffs. I think this was just what an absolutely foolish move by him. Do they have a John Morant problem in Memphis? He seems to be in the news an awful lot for things that aren't going on on the court. Uh, you know, I wouldn't have thought so before, but after these recent incidents, and then Sham Sharania recently came out and said, hey, they had a players-only meeting, and Steven Adams essentially called him out and said, hey, you know, we don't need to be going out when we're on the road. We need to stick to the game plan. We need to go out here and take care of business. Uh, it sounds like if you have players calling you out, especially somebody respected like Steven Adams is in that locker room, it does sound like there's a problem, especially if you're a superstar and you're expected to be the face of the franchise, you know, that could seep down uh, across the, the roster. So, yes, that's a problem. Zach Hanshu, NBC Sports Edge. You mentioned Kevin Durant in Phoenix, Kyrie Irving and Luka in Dallas also looking very good. Uh, two huge trades at the deadline. How will Phoenix and Dallas play into the Western Conference playoffs? Man, I hope we get a matchup between these guys. I mean, because you remember last year when it went seven, and at the end of game six, Phoenix is just chirping and chirping and chirping, and Luka comes out, and they they destroy him. I think the final score, they beat him by 35 or 40, whatever it ended up being. And so that was chippy. And if you caught the end of this game Sunday, uh, Luka had an offensive foul as he was going for the game-tying bucket there at the end. And uh, Devin Booker started chirping at him again, and they got up in each other's faces. They got double texts. I mean, so these teams hate each other. They, and you have the Kyrie and the Kevin Durant narrative playing into it. Um, Kevin Durant and Booker um, are, are just absolutely, they look like they're working extremely well together after just a few games on the court. Uh, so I think Phoenix should be considered a clear favorite to win the Western Conference right now up there with Denver. 
Uh, and Dallas is going to get into the playoffs, but it's just a matter of, you know, what kind of seeding they're going to end up getting. But I really hope we get a matchup between these two teams. It's going to be fireworks. Yeah, I mean, Booker and Luka legitimately look like they do not like one another uh, very much at all, and that really comes across on the court. <laughs> Zach, final yep. thought about the West. You know, we've spent seven minutes now talking about the Lakers and Morant and Phoenix and Dallas and Denver is leading the West and it's not even close. Are we not giving them enough credit? And do you think they're the clear favorites going in? I, I still don't think you can call them the clear favorite. And I think the, the knock that people understandably have on them is who's going to close the game out in a tough situation in the playoffs. I mean, so we can see these excellent regular season teams uh, you know, we've seen the Hawks do it uh, back when Bud was in town and they had, you know, five or six all-stars on the team and then they collapse in the playoffs uh, because there's no superstar. Right. So I, I think it would be it, it would be ignorant of me to not call, um, you know, Nikola Jokic a superstar. But at the same time, do we count on Jamal Murray to show us some of that bubble magic that he had a couple of years back? Do we count on Michael Porter Jr. to be healthy? Do we count on Jokic to close the game out? Uh, because, you know, he's a triple-double threat, but is he going to take over and score the final basket when you really need him to, like a Kevin Durant, like a Devin Booker, like a John ja Morant, like a Steph Curry? Uh, I think the argument against Denver is the fact that they don't have that takeover guy at the end of a game, and that's often what you need in the playoffs. Zach Hanshu, NBC Sports Edge, talking NBA with us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Zach, let's go from the West to the east, Boston has lost a couple of uh, nail-biters, heartbreakers as of late. Should the Celtics be worried, or is this just a little dip in uh, what's been a very good season? i tell you what, man, this has been awesome the last couple of nights. Um, my boys are 8-6, and six, and they love the NBA. They play rec league basketball. We're shooting hoops all the time. And so I let them stay up late the last couple of nights to watch these overtime games. And they, they were phenomenal, right? So, yeah, Boston lost to New York a couple nights ago. Emmanuel quickly went off 38 points. Uh, last night, that nail-biter to Cleveland, which I think they've played three overtime games between the two of them this season. So that's that's been a phenomenal series. That's going to be a great playoffs. Um, but, no, Boston, they started the season off hot. Uh, you know, they've kind of cooled down a bit, and now they're in second place in the East. They're just a couple games up on Philly. No, there's absolutely nothing to worry about here. They were missing half of their starters last night, and they took Cleveland, who is an excellent team, especially at home. They were in Cleveland last night and took them to overtime, and if not for a couple of Grant Williams' horrific free-throw misses as time expired, you know, Boston would have gone home victorious here uh, after playing three overtime periods uh, in the last couple of nights. So, no, Boston has nothing to worry about here. They can take teams to the brink. Uh, even when their starters are not fully healthy. Um, you know, Robert Williams should be back for the playoffs. Horford will be rested because they've managed his minutes this season. Malcolm Brogdon looks like a phenomenal addition. Derek White has come into his own this season. There's nothing to worry about with Boston. It's Boston and Milwaukee at the top, and, yeah, that's how it should be. You know, we talk a lot of Boston, a lot of Milwaukee, a lot of Philadelphia. You got to give credit where it's due. We got to talk about the New York Knicks, Zach. I mean, they are – Really good. Now, I know a lot of people don't believe in them still, but Julius Randle is uh, amazing, or at least he's been amazing in the last, say, month or so. What's your take on the Knicks, and could they be a fly in the ointment, if you will, in the NBA uh, Eastern Conference playoffs? 
Yeah, they've won nine in a row now, and they absolutely can be a fly in the ointment. I mean, I don't think any team wants to face the Knicks if the Knicks are playing their best basketball right now uh, because, like we saw the other night, Emmanuel quickly, he's earned the the trust of Coach Thibodeau. He's getting those minutes that we don't typically see from young guys in a Tibbs rotation, and he's delivering, right? So no Brunson, no problem. And then when Brunson comes back in, you have quickly who's legitimately making a case to be six man of the year. You have both of those guys going off. You have a bench unit that can run with anybody. And as you mentioned, Julius Randle, this might be his best season to date. And this is considering that he won most improved player a few seasons ago. And we're seeing his best basketball right now. Uh, Mitchell Robinson, if he's healthy, he was an absolute force the other night in that win, just pulling down crazy amount of rebounds. So yeah, this team can make some noise in the playoffs. I don't, I don't know that they're going to win multiple playoff series, uh, but they're not going to make it easy on whoever they face. You know, as we begin to wrap up with Zach Hanshu, NBC Sports Edge in the East, Boston, Milwaukee, whatever order you want to put them in. Then obviously you got Philadelphia, and they won a shootout a couple, I guess, last night against Indiana. We know about Cleveland. We know about New York. Are those the five? I mean, could Miami? Could Atlanta? A team like that do something, or in the Eastern Conference, is it basically five strong and then everybody else? Yeah, it's five strong, uh, and, and that's going to be it. Uh, Brooklyn, they're going to continue to win games here and there and sneak into the playoffs, but they have no superstar. They're still kind of figuring out how to, to mold with each other uh, after all those moves that they made at the deadline. Uh, Miami, I, honestly, the, their injury report is pretty much, it's been like a CVS receipt all season long. It's been guy after guy after guy just injured every single night. Uh, and Atlanta, you'd have thought the DeJounte Murray trade would have improved their defense tremendously. Uh, you know, they brought in Sadiq Bay, who's been a good three-point shooter for them. But they just can't seem to win games. Their defense is doing nothing. They gave up a ton of points to Miami. Um, you know, so this is... This is it right here. Toronto, they're, they're essentially in a rebuild. They won't come out and say it. And then the bottom teams here in the standings, Washington, Chicago, Indiana, they just don't have the firepower to compete with these other teams. So it's five strong. Zach, as we wrap up, I got to ask you about Orlando. You knew it was coming. It's frustrating to okay. watch because they're losing a lot of really close games. But after I take a couple of deep breaths and turn the TV off, you got to remember, they won 22 games last year. They've already won 27 this year, and they still got like 16 games left. And every time the Chicago Bulls lose, it just brings a smile to my face because if the NBA draft were held today, the Magic would have picks five and six. You add two more lottery guys to this roster, there's no doubt to me the Magic are in the playoffs next year. Yeah, they, they are absolutely going to be a playoff team next year. As you mentioned, we've seen a ton of improvements from them. They've they've already gone five games over in the win total than they, what they did last year. Uh, we did see Jonathan Isaac come back briefly. Uh, I know he injured his groin. He's out for the season. Uh, but, hey, at least it wasn't an ACL, right? So maybe he'll come back and play more than 10 or 11 minutes a game well, next He might season. only be out 18 months now with a groin injury. That's the way it looks. <laughs> and I, and I hate to say that, but that that's getting kind of frustrating, to be honest with you. It, it's absolutely frustrating. Uh, so I do – I am very curious to see now that they've taken uh, – that they put his contract, put those incentives in there, and not everything's fully guaranteed – Maybe he comes back and plays some more games next year. I, I don't know. I don't want to, you know, take the guy down a peg and say he's just doing this and, and sitting out for the money. 
Uh, but we'll see what happens next year when there's more incentives involved than just guaranteed money. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, two more lottery picks into that. Uh, another season of Bancaro to kind of work through some of those rookie warts. Uh, Franz Wagner has just looked phenomenal again this season. He can be a 20-point-per-game guy next season. Um, you know, you're getting some more production from Markel Fultz, who's looked really good. Uh, yeah, I, I think this is absolutely a playoff team because the bottom of the East is typically is typically terrible uh, compared to the bottom in the West. And so there's no reason Orlando can't be, you know, a six through 10 seed next year. You know, it's almost to the point where we almost need Chicago to maybe win a few games that that pick is top four protected and the Bulls are just terrible right now. Quickly, final question, is Billy Donovan okay? That's a lot of money they spent for a team that's probably not going to make the playoffs. I I have no idea. I have to I have to imagine he I, he probably is. I mean because it's it's not his decision whether or not they go out and sign guys and trade guys at the deadline. I mean it's just a, up to him to coach who's on the team. So I would have to say yes, and especially after he just signed that contract. But I I don't know what Chicago's doing. I still have no idea. Uh, so for now I'll, I will say yes, but. It's a big question, Mark. They have underachieved to a ridiculously low level. It's been really sad to see. Maybe one of the biggest disappointments in the NBA are what the Chicago Bulls have done and the Magic own their pick, assuming it's not numbers one through four. Zach Hanchu, NBC Sports Edge, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. Zach, appreciate it, man. We'll do it again in a couple of weeks. Yes, sir. Take care, man. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. Spring football is cranking up all over the country, and that is true as well in Coral Gables. Year number two for Mario Cristobal and his staff down there at Miami as spring ball underway for the U. Speaking of the U, insidetheu.com is where you find David Lake, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. David, how you doing, man? Doing well, Ryan. Good to be on with you. Always love talking football with you. Hey, David, always appreciate the time. All right, year two for Mario Cristobal. Year one was not what the Miami natives hoped for. Uh, before we really dive in, just kind of an outlook for you the last three months. New coordinators, certainly a lot of change for Miami. How would you assess the offseason to this point? Yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to characterize everything as – essentially a total reset after you know a disappointing year one and uh you know that's not the step that Miami anticipated making 12 months ago you know I think the it is fair to say that the expectation was for Miami to um have success right away that of course did not play out with the results on the field and uh, Mario Cristobal shook up his coaching staff and, uh, you know, I think it's warranted when judging by the results and this is a different looking staff than last year. I'm sure we'll get into it. You know, the resumes of this staff aren't as impressive as the resumes of last staff, last year's staff. But, um, I am curious to see if, if the fits, um, with this new staff will end up being better and providing improved results year over year. David Lake inside the U.com here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. David, you're around this team all the time, man. What do you think happened last year? Where did it go wrong? 
Yeah, I mean, I I think that's there's a long list, right? But I think if if I'm gonna simplify it to maybe a couple things, number one, I do think, uh, you know, from a player perspective, so the players that stayed through the transition from Manny Diaz to Mario Cristobal, I do think there is an element of, you know, a shock to the system uh, type of change. You you can't really get more opposite in terms of approach. And and I'm not saying either one is wrong or either one is better. I think you can win many different ways. But the way Manny Diaz operates as a head coach is a lot different than the way Mario Cristobal operates. And so I think when things got tough, you know, I think there was an element of players having the mindset of, well, I didn't sign up to play for this guy. And so I think there was an element of that. And, you know, we see that with the exodus at the transfer portal level. And then from a coaching standpoint, you know, I do think some of the coaches when they arrived at Miami were surprised about what um, they observed to be a lack of talent. So, you know, a guy like a Josh Gaddis is coming from Michigan, who was in the college football playoff. He's used to working with talented teams. He did not necessarily inherit that at Miami, and I think he was frustrated. And Mario Cristobal, you know, his message to coaches in general is figure it out. You know, we, we got to figure it out. Work, get the most out of what you have to work with. I think Josh Gaddis was frustrated with what he had to work with. I think there's an element of that going on, too, with Kevin Steele on the defensive side. Um, and so, you know, there was just – a lot of discontent, um, wasn't very good vibes. And, you know, I think that snowballed as the season progressed. And, you know, it, it showed in terms of really ugly, ugly losses that, quite frankly, shouldn't have happened. I think both things can be true, right? Like, was Miami overly talented? No. But should they have been losing those types of games the way that they were losing them? Absolutely not. So, um and then there's there's other things too. It was just a totally bad year one, and uh, we'll see if they can move things forward here in year two. David Lake inside the U.com here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville as Miami has kicked off spring football here in 2023. All right, you mentioned Josh Gaddis. It was bizarre timing, right? I mean, it was mid-February or early February that he left mm-hmm. the program. What's the direction now on offense moving forward? Yeah, so they're bringing in Shannon Dawson, who comes from Houston, the Houston Cougars program, where he served the last three seasons as the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach under Dana Holgerson. And of course, Dana Holgerson is known for the uh, running the air raid style of offense, and, and that's kind of what Shannon Dawson's going to bring to Miami. Uh, now, with Mario Cristobal as your head coach, you are also going to have to embrace running the ball with physicality. And Shannon Dawson definitely embraces that philosophy. And, uh, you know, the way I would characterize this offense is it's going back to what it's going to, it's going to resemble what Miami was under Rhett Lashley in 2021. And I think a big reason why Mario Cristobal wanted to go this direction in terms of scheme is he believes that it'll get the most out of quarterback Tyler Van Dyke. He took a step back 
this past year under Josh Gaddis. And, you know, he, he flourished under the Rhett Lashley offense. And uh, so I think they're, they're going to try and tap into that style of offense to get the most out of their quarterback. You mentioned Tyler Van Dyke. I remember you and I talking about this time last year, certainly before the season. It was all Tyler Van Dyke and Anthony Richardson, the two new guys with the two new head coaches. Anthony Richardson has since moved on and just set the combine on fire. Tyler Van Dyke is back in Coral Gables for a second uh, stint there with the Hurricanes with Mario Cristobal. What is the expectation on Tyler Van Dyke? Because as you said, it certainly was not a season where he lived up to expectations a year ago. Yeah, I don't know if there necessarily are like any type of crazy expectations. I, I do think, you know, last season was sobering for the fan base in terms of how they view Tyler. And from Tyler's standpoint, I think it was a little bit humbling. Um, you know, I, I will say a lot of his struggles, particularly in the second half of the season, were primarily due to him dealing with a shoulder injury that he sustained primarily because Miami was, was hit by some injuries on the offensive line. And that was a porous group in the second half of the season. And once he had that, that shoulder injury, you know, he tried to give it a go in a few games, but just couldn't do it, couldn't get it done. And so, you know, I think his stats uh, are poor because of that relative to the games he played. I still think he played in like 10 games, but he might have only finished maybe six games. Um, but that being said, in the first half of the season, he was definitely not productive, not the Tyler that we saw the year before. So I think everyone believes that, you know, he is a guy that has arm talent and he's a guy that can be a productive college quarterback. Um, I think the question with him after last year, though, is can he you know, is he the type of quarterback that can go to that second progression or at times the third progression? And so that's why they've gone to this simplified air raid spread college style of offense. And, uh, you know, we did see in 2021 that Tyler can can have success in that type of offense when he has some weapons to work with. Does he have weapons to work with? Right now at Miami, I'm a little uncertain of that. But if they go out and, and, and they're able to get him a receiver in the transfer portal, I do think he can he can be a productive player this year. Final moments here with David Lake inside the U.com on 1010XL in Jacksonville. David, look, I mean, the, there's no hot seat for Mario Cristobal. That would be nonsense. Having said that, they also did not go to a bowl game last year in Miami. So, there's got to be at least some pressure to show some improvement. I mean, if they have a sure. if they do what they did last year in 2023, then when you get into 2024, there may be a hot seat, correct? Yeah, I mean, look, when you invest like Miami did, uh, you know, going out and getting Mario Cristobal and giving him resources, quite frankly, to last season they did have a, a highly paid staff uh, compared to the rest of the ACC there's going to be pressure to get results. And I do think that is fair in year two. Now, you know, I, I think you gotta, I think you gotta be fair with your expectations. And so kind of where I'm at is look, if Miami can go from winning five games, unacceptable type of year in 2022 to winning eight games in 2023, I think that's a fair progression. Um, and then from there, you know, you, you gotta, 
get over that 10 win hump in year three. So the recruiting and the talent acquisition phase that Mario Cristobal is known for is going well for Miami. And so that should indicate improved results in the future. Um, but we'll see. And I, and I think everything you're saying is fair. The, the pressure is on to deliver improvement in year two. David, leave us with this. Florida State and Clemson have both voiced their opinions in the last couple of weeks. Florida State did it very publicly about the money issues in the Atlantic Coast Conference, how the SEC and the Big Ten and those schools are just making a lot more money because of TV deals and whatnot, and there's problems in the ACC. Does Miami have a stance on that? Have you heard anything about that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, my understanding is, look, I think – there's kind of a gentleman's agreement between the, the programs that are perceived to be the four biggest brands in the conference. And those would be Clemson, Florida State, as you said, and North Carolina, and then Miami as well. And I think they all are kind of have an agreement of, hey, we're going to be on the same page. Like no matter what happens, what direction this all goes, we have to keep each other in the same loop because I think they understand like, if we're going to get out of the ACC in some way, we're not going to be able to surprise anyone. You know, we're, we're going to all need to be on the same page. And so none of this is a surprise to Miami. I think Miami's stance on it for now is look, we stunk in 2022. And quite frankly, the payout we got from the ACC is of market value. And so they're happy to kind of stay in the back in terms of like, public publicly rattling cages and uh but i do think behind closed doors miami athletic director dan radikevich is definitely voicing those similar concerns so yeah i mean they're they're in lockstep with that and you know if you want to compete at the highest level of college football of course it's not going to be sustainable once those sec and big 10 contracts kick in David Lake, InsideTheU.com. For all your Miami info, InsideTheU.com is where you need to go. David, always appreciate the time. Thank you. Spring football's underway. Let's chat again uh, when the spring game approaches. We'll see how Miami's doing at that point. Anytime, Ryan. Thank you. Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The Florida Gators have started spring football year number two for Billy Napier, their first practice was on Saturday. At this point, it's just good the Gators got back out on the field, so we have something to talk about, not named Jaden Rashada or any of the coaches that left in the last couple of weeks. we got a lot to get into, and with that, David Waters of the Gators Breakdown Podcast. You can find that on YouTube, Twitter. He does a great job with that podcast, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. David, how we doing? Doing good, Hacker. Doing good. Like, as you said, uh, good to be uh actually talking football, something happening on the field for the Gators for once. David, I want to get into the practice in a moment, but I haven't had you on since a lot of that transpired over the last couple of weeks. So a quick thought from you on Patrick Tony, on on Colbert, on all these guys that, that left, you know, a week and a half out from spring football. It, it was kind of odd, to be honest. Yeah, it kind of was, Hacker, and now you really just kind of own the NFL timeline. You're not even a college football timeline. Those guys – uh, now taking their NFL jobs there, and they did you know, just for the uh, kind of just bad timing of Florida to start in spring practice. You know, it was just what uh, what a week and a half after the Super Bowl these, these moves started happening. 
And of course, you know, the, the new hires in the NFL looking to, to fill their staffs out. And, uh, you know, the, the Gators were on, on the receiving end of that. So kind of speaks to Billy Hayes for a little bit for uh, identifying his coaching staff and those guys being able to, to, to go into the NFL, but also kind of leaves a very short window and only one hire has been made since then. Austin Armstrong, the defensive coordinator, uh, the last couple of years at Southern Miss, uh, and then recently hired by Alabama. He comes in to take over for Patrick Tony. Uh, and then Florida still now looking for their tight end coach and their wide receiver coach as they start spring practice. So you, know, you don't want those openings to go on too long. Uh, business are starting to happen uh, back on campus as well as Florida starts hosting uh, some, some more high school recruits. And you want your coaching staff to be complete. Uh, so those guys have somebody to identify with as far as position coaches go. So I wouldn't expect it to, the opening hacker to, to go on too long, uh, basically just because of what's happening on the field and with these visits. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, we got our first look at Austin Armstrong's defensive coordinator on Saturday. David Waters of the Gators Breakdown Podcast here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Quickly, David, since we're on the topic, Austin Armstrong is considerably younger than I am, um, which I was shocked to see that he has taken over the reins as the defensive coordinator. I believe, what, 29 years old, if memory serves. Any issue with that for you, uh, with, with age or – or is a young guy hungry for an opportunity, in your opinion? Uh, no, no issue with the age there, Hacker. I mean, of course, I identified uh, by Nick Saban to put him on his staff. And the fault there, of course, they just hired Kevin Steele as their defensive coordinator as he leaves Miami. And the fault was he's kind of was going to be, or I was talking about Armstrong here, uh, maybe the kind of defensive coordinator in waiting whenever Steele goes on to maybe retire or make his next move. He's kind of a journeyman defensive coordinator. Uh, but whenever they were kind of grooming Austin Armstrong maybe to take over there, that was kind of the thought of him going to Alabama. Uh, you know, kind of following some Alabama message boards when the hire uh, was being made to him going to Florida. And that a lot of those fans didn't want to lose him. They, they, they kind of thought that uh, as well and say, hey, he was going to be our next guy to maybe in line uh, to take over for defensive coordinator in Alabama. Uh, but, you know, there's some familiarity. He, he was on the Louisiana staff with, with, with Billy Napier. And then went and uh, took a year there with Kirby Smart in Georgia in 2019. They returned back to Louisiana when Patrick Tony took over that defense in Louisiana. And then Southern Miss hired him the last couple of years at, uh, at their defensive coordinator spot. He made immediate uh, improvement in their defense. And if you look at overall numbers and stats, probably nothing really screams at you, uh, except for maybe just you know, some overall improvement. But did really uh, excel in, in creating pressure, creating some turnovers. Uh, some red zone defense in that first year that he was there. So, heck, I mean, he's got he's got a task on him. You know, this, this has been a Florida defense that's been bad for a few years now, uh, including Billy Aker's first year. Um, and look, uh, a lot of the thought, well, Todd Grant was not on the sideline anymore, so it, it, that automatically means this Florida defense is going to get better. But that wasn't the case. Uh, and then we saw some you know, slow forty times by Trey Dean uh, and Rashad Torrance throughout the combine this past week, and you know, maybe it's a combination, of course, of a lack of talent. A lack of athleticism for that Florida defense, and Patrick Tony just not being able to put it together last year. Armstrong's got to come in. You know, Florida can't go another year uh, with another subpar defense, another future defense. But also Armstrong, Billy Napier, they, they've got to figure something out pretty quick. And you know, <laughs> there is a lack of experience there, uh, a lack of age uh, to go along with Armstrong. So definitely has his hands full and got to prove a lot of people wrong right away. David, how important, and again, it's super early, right? They've only had one spring football practice. But, but it, you know, it, it doesn't hurt to talk about it because it's going to be a topic, certainly, as we get closer to Labor Day weekend. How important is this year for Billy Napier? Hacker, certainly no hot seat pressure 
Uh, but you know, there's there's got to be some competitive pressure. Uh, you know, Florida's got to show some improvement. Um, you know, and there, there's you know a lack of uh, belief that maybe the, the record won't be so much. But it, uh, even if the record's not, is there some tangible evidence that you can point to uh, that the team is either going to get better throughout the year, or you or it's better that you compare them from from the year before? You know, you've got to start pointing at something, whether it's in-game decision making by Billy Napier. Uh, whether it's the defense taking some big steps, but the offense takes a step back, you know, there, there's going to have to be uh, some progression, at least on the defensive side of the ball. In my mind, I think for some people to start feeling better uh, about the program direction, uh, but also Billy Napier and you know, his in-game management uh, and being able to maybe build an offense around a different style of quarterback. You know, this, this is not going to be a, a, an athletic quarterback that he's been used to going back to Levi Lewis at Louisiana, going back to Anthony Richardson last year. Uh, this is a bit of a, a whether it be uh, Jack Miller, whether it be Graham Mertz, this is a different style of offense uh, there for Billy Napier. We know all, uh, how much the, the Orange and Blue fans love their offense. So the offense can't take a step back, uh, Hacker. But in the end, I think there's got to be some tangible progress, whether it be Billy Napier himself or at least looking at the time and looking at the end of the year, we can sit here and say, okay, we saw the defense take some steps. In 20, in the, the next year, it's got to all come together. Because, like, you know, you, you, two years, they, their fans are, are going to be at Billy Napier's neck. There's no absolute way you can go three years and not show a lot of improvement. David Waters is the host of the Gators Breakdown podcast, and he's with us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. David, Graham Mertz, Jack Miller, is there a competition as spring football gets underway? I think it's a true competition to start with, Hacker. I, I do think Graham Mertz ends up winning the job. I think a lot of people, that's not, not really going to be a surprise to anybody out there. Uh, you know, Jack Miller, I, I haven't really been a huge fan of his even dating back to the, him transferring a year ago. Uh, there's not a lot to go by, but what we have seen you know, in Ohio State spring game, a Florida spring game, I won't put the bowl game too much on him last year. You know, Florida, a shell of itself uh, going in that bowl game against Oregon State. But there was just you know some things to point to even before that moment where I wasn't really uh, all that high on Jack Miller. So Graham Mertz comes in, and uh, there's a lot to talk about there too. You know, not necessarily uh, living up to his recruiting profile there at Wisconsin. A good job for Wisconsin. You know, I mean, he, he was up. He was in a more open offense in high school when he goes to, to Wisconsin and kind of plays in you know in eight offense under Paul Christ and not able to to really elevate his game there throughout his career. Uh, so maybe just a, a new scene, maybe a new setting, maybe a new offense with Billy Napier and, and Graham Mertz can kind of unlock his potential. Uh, there, you know, offense at Wisconsin didn't really do him any favors, but you know, is that the fault of him? Is that the fault of that offense? Uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I, I, you know, it was a very predictable offense. It was run on first down, run on second down. It's third and seven, third and eight, and you got to go complete a pass. Uh, you know, so we'll see you know, what Billy Napier can unlock in, in these next few weeks at spring practice. But in, in the end, Hacker, I do think it's him who, who wins the job. Uh, Billy Napier's second year is going to ride or die with, with, with Graham Mertz and his ability to lead this offense and lead this team. You know, I don't even really like the comparison because this guy's a buddy and we've had him on here many times and, it almost seems like a negative comparison, but is is Graham Mertz Austin Appleby 2.0? Um, I mean, you can certainly say that with the Big Ten transfer, and and, and but he got a lot more experience, so I, I think you can re- lean on that a bit. There's not going to be a lot that surprises him. 
uh, when he takes the field, you know, besides, you know, maybe SEC defensive speed versus some Big Ten defensive speed. But there's a lot more experience to kind of lean on more so than Austin Appleby had coming in. Uh, and, you know, also, as I'll go back to, that, that higher recruiting profile at the same time. Uh, there. So there, there's a lot more potential, I think, with, with, with Graham Mertz to unlock and Billy Mitchell. Final moments here with David Waters, the host of the Gators Breakdown podcast. David, last year, one of the bright spots, certainly, Montreal Johnson, Trevor Etienne. Both of those guys are back. The problem is that that offensive line they ran behind has been decimated by graduation, by NFL declarations, and by transfers. Running backs, David, are only as good as their O-line. How good is this O-line going to be this year? Actually, I think they could be okay. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if the ceiling is as high as last year because, of course, being anchored by Osiris Torrance there. Uh, but can they be maybe a more consistent group? Uh, you know, Florida – at times last year, the offensive line was good, but it was really built on big plays and, and, those, and those running backs hitting big plays. But if you take away those big plays, and I'm, I'm not really a fan of that, but you, you hear that talk a lot. If you take away those big plays, you know, what was that run game really doing last year? Uh, and, you know, and, of course, I think we can look at the quarterback run game should have been helping more a little bit too. Uh, but, you know, if Florida can continue to hit those explosive plays, I, I think they'll, be, they'll continue uh, to be a pretty good run team. But, Actually, it's pretty interesting. I mean, you, you got to start local. You're right here in Jacksonville. The offensive line is going to be anchored by Austin Barber there at left tackle and, and Kingsley Walken there at center. So, you know, we look local right here in Jacksonville, products of, uh, of the city of Jacksonville, really anchoring this, this Gator offensive line. And they'll have the center and left side figure out. You know, Micah Mazuka transferred in from Baylor, one of the best offensive guards in the country. Uh, behind Osiris Torrance last year, transfers in from Baylor. A lot of power five experience, so he'll step right in. So they, they got three to five pretty much figured out already, but they do have to figure out that right side. You got Damian George coming in from Alabama. You got Keontae Goodwin coming in from Kentucky, and along with Jalen Farmer, uh, and Jordan Herman, you know, some, some guys who were on the, the, the roster last year. Now, that, that right side, there's going to be a, a good battle between the guys who were on the roster last year and transfers coming in. Uh, so I think the biggest question, you know, Keontae Goodwin, uh, he, he, he'll, he'll work out at, at, at offensive tackle there, transferring from Kentucky to Florida. He was Kentucky's highest-rated recruit ever. Uh, so can Florida unlock the potential that they, that he was only at Kentucky for one year uh, and played sparingly last year, had some weight control issues. He came to Florida because of uh, Florida's reputation, that, 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 that staff, the reputation of, of being able to work with transformations of the body. That was a big selling point for Florida. So I think the biggest question on that right side of the offensive line is how fast and how custom can Deontay Goodwin come, come in and maybe figure out that right tackle spot. David, I want to end with Anthony Richardson, but quickly, about 30 seconds here. How do they even go about trying to replace Ventrell Miller? Uh, Jason Marshall asked about that, too, this past weekend. Uh, he's uh, in his third year as a quarterback there, and you're looking for that leadership uh, there for, for, from Ventrell Miller, but also uh, that linebacker spot. Now, also, I think it's going to be Taraja Mitchell and Shamar James. You, you probably pick between those two guys. Mitchell transfers in from Ohio State, uh, where he spent most of his career and then Samar James, the all-world, all-SEC linebacker um, you know, from the state of Alabama, all, and, and going into his second year. So you hope that he takes all everything that he learned from that first year and is able to, to apply it uh, there to that linebacker position there. But more importantly than the play, I think there's a lot of leadership there from Vince Miller that they've got to find a way to replace. So those are the two guys that, that it's, it's going to have to be those two guys. Because if it's any, anybody else besides those two guys, Florida's going to still be looking for some help at linebacker. 
David, final question. I'm curious your thoughts because you're a college football guy. You host a very successful, widely listened to Gators podcast. There is such a disconnect over Anthony Richardson when it comes to his pro potential. You ask college guys, they think he's good, but he's more of a project, probably not even a first-rounder. NFL draft guys are salivating, and even more so after the combine. What's your opinion on Anthony Richardson? I mean, you watched him take every snap in Gainesville. Are you more of the thought that he's going to be a superstar, or are you of the thought that he's more of a project? I mean, heck, a year ago, I thought he was going to be a superstar in college. Uh, and, and, it, and it didn't happen, you know, for whatever reason, uh, whether it be him, whether it be Billy Napier, whether it just be, uh, they couldn't, you know, for whatever reason, couldn't get it together uh, and, and put it out there. And this question still remains. Uh, now it's at the pro level. Uh, is uh, How much can he grow? How much can he grow as a passer? Can he be more consistent? I know the footwork has been a big uh, detail the last few weeks of uh, people breaking down his film. But what he did this past weekend at the Combine is no surprise. We, we absolutely expected him to go in uh, and dominate uh, in, in that setting. Uh, so now you got to compare that to the film. And the film, you know, there, there's some ups, there's some downs. That's what he's kind of been known for throughout his career. That's what he's been known for throughout, throughout his time in his 13 starts. Uh, most of it being last year. How much can he use those legs? Can he stay healthy? There's a, there's a lot of questions. But those NFL GMs look at potential. You know, they, they're going to draft you on what they think you can be, not what you are right now. I mean, there's going to be plenty of teams that think they can fix what what, what uh, the, the, the negatives uh, towards Anthony Richardson. He's going to be drafted very high. And you know, I think um, the NFL GMs, a lot of them get some mulligans. Uh, if, it, if it doesn't work out, I think a lot of them are going to see that uh, in Anthony Richardson. So I don't think the, the potential of him is going to go out there. It's going to be way too much. He'll get, high, he'll get drafted high. I still have my doubts uh, from what we saw as a college quarterback and him being able to put it all together. He, you know, NFL team's going to have to do him a favor. He can't be thrown into the mix right away, I don't think. He's going to have to go learn. He's going to have to adapt. He's going to have to develop. Uh, so the NFL teams are going to have to help him along the way. If he, if he gets the right setting, I think he can be okay. I don't know if he'll ever be the star that I thought he would be in college or, or, or maybe the star that you know, the NFL combine says he might be. Be sure and check out the Gators Breakdown podcast. David Waters does a terrific job with that, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL. David, appreciate the time. Let's chat again as the uh, spring game approaches in about a month. Really appreciate you, my friend. Sounds good, Hacker. Thank you, man. And thank you to David Waters of the Gators Breakdown podcast for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. Always enjoy talking football, Gator football with David Waters and the Gators on the field for spring drills. They got underway on Saturday, year number two for Billy Napier there in spring football with the University of Florida. Well, that'll just about wrap it up for what has been a very busy Tuesday night edition of Hacker After Dark, our late night show. Thank you for staying up late with us tonight here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. We got a lot of people to thank, including David Waters of the Gators Breakdown Podcast. Spring football also going on in Coral Gables. David Lake of InsideTheU.com. Always enjoy the conversation with him as Mario Cristobal in year number two in spring ball down in South Florida. Did not have the year one they had hoped for. They, like Florida, look to turn things around here in 2023. Zach Hanshu, NBC Sports Edge, talking a little National Basketball Association as the regular season very quickly coming to an end. Most teams have well under 20 games left 
in their regular seasons. And Brent Beard, you get him every week here on Hacker After Dark, looking all over the world of college football. We certainly thank him for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. We'll be back tomorrow night on a Wednesday, and we will do it all over again. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker Ryan Green. And Jacksonville, thank you for spending your Tuesday night with us here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Tuesday night, and we will talk to you tomorrow on a Wednesday beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.